Happy Monday, May the 8th. Let's just jump right in here. So, if we had all of those books, 80 books, and we're wondering why did we go to 66? Here's the thing. History is never, never flows like a TV show where it's all, everything's always predictable. There are other branches out there. We'll talk about how those developed later. But while we still had the books of the Apocrypha in our Bibles up until 1885, that's not entirely true of all of the streams of Christian thought. There was an early commentator and translator, one of the most intelligent, brilliant individuals that's ever lived, and his name was Jerome. He lived around 400 AD, and he had been assigned by the, uh, the leaders of the Catholic Church, the, East, the Western Catholic Church, the Roman Church. There wasn't an Eastern Church as separate from West so much at this point. They, they would not separate from another 600 plus years. So we're still talking about Rome here. Uh, Rome and Constantinople were basically running the show. And so they didn't like the variants in their manuscripts, which meant you know, this one read this way, this one read that way, there's a hole in this one. And so they wanted to find a brilliant individual who was a faithful believer, uh, who, would, who could be entrusted with this to revise and correct the Latin text of scripture. They found Jerome and he was the right guy. Uh, he was the right guy. He worked incredibly hard. I'd love to go through all of that story for you. Look him up, even if it's just on Wikipedia, but then go to the, go to the, um, the footnotes, find the books, because it's just amazing what he did. He created a Latin version of the Bible that was up to date for 400 and made it uh, much easier for the prelates, the, the clergy of the Catholic Church, to, to read. By 400, Latin was really falling out among the common people. But among the scholars and legal people, Latin would still live on. In many ways, it still does. But Jerome's version was considered controversial at the time and would not really be accepted by all of the Catholic Church for another 500 years. So the story that he did it, presented it, and it was all good, is a complete myth. He did it, did an incredible job with what he had. I, I, I cannot find any fault with what he did and with what he had. And he presented it to the Catholic Church but it was accepted by some and completely rejected by others, all within the same group of Catholic leaders. He was a very serious scholar. Um, he established a monastery, in fact, in which to work on the translation. There's some dedication for you. The Bishop of Rome credited him uh, with saving the scripture and gave him money to back him. By the way, the year 400, the Bishop of Rome was still called the Bishop of Rome and not the Pope. That would come much later. Jerome, however, in my opinion, made a mistake. Now, once again, please understand that Patrick makes mistakes all the time. And so I'm not picking on him. He's human. His mistake was that he went to the Jews and asked them which books they considered inspired. 
Well, they of course rejected Jesus as Messiah. They wanted nothing to do with spreading Christian scripture. And so they declared that only those scriptures that had been written and still could be found in the Hebrew language, written originally in the Hebrew language, and that could still be found in the Hebrew language, could be inspired of God. Well, that ruled out that vast, important document called the Septuagint. Again, Paul's favorite version of the Bible. Um, really, the, the spring from which our Bibles flow um, are all around that Septuagint. They rejected it because it was in Greek. It was not in Hebrew. Even though the story is, and there's just no way to, to decide if the story is correct. And in many ways, we know that a lot of aspects of the story of the Septuagint aren't, but the story is that they used the Hebrew scriptures and translated into Greek, but there were, none of that source material was available. So the Jews said, we reject all of the Septuagint. Therefore, they rejected those books we now refer to as the Apocrypha. You see, the Apocrypha had not survived the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. The Apocrypha, boy, that was badly phrased. Can you let me do that again? The Apocrypha in Hebrew did not survive the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. In Greek, it obviously did. It was still around, still being used, and would be for another 1800 years. Jerome did not reject the Apocrypha, but he did put a note in his Bible about the Apocrypha saying whether or not their scripture is unknown. But being from 400 AD, they didn't use words like we use words. So he didn't say, we are not certain as of the validity of these and if they are inspired. His phrasing was, their usefulness and their value and their, um, their source, whether from man or God, is hidden. And the word hidden is where we get the word apocrypha. So it's not like hidden as in, boy, we don't want people to find these books. It is in, we're just not really sure if these were given to us by God or just by believers. Uh, we can't source it. That's all cloaked in darkness. Therefore, it is Apocrypha. By the way, uh, every single book in the Apocrypha since Jerome's time has been found in Hebrew. Every one of them. In fact, the Dead Sea Scrolls contain quite a lot of the Apocrypha and references to it and quotes to it in Hebrew. So there were not 400 years of silence. That's a complete myth. People were still worshiping, they were still hearing from God, and they were still writing. Between Malachi and John the Baptist, God did not take some time off. God was still working to prepare the Jews for his son, yes, but then the rest of us for his son as well. The Puritans, remember them from last episode? They, before they had to go to America and get out and go, they, they gained control of England for a very short time. And they brought in a substitute king and queen, and they brought in this commander called Cromwell, who was a butcher. 
and they had a huge influence on the way Bibles would be viewed in their day and from then on because it was about that time that printing was allowing the common person to at least go to a place to read scripture, if not possess bits and pieces of scripture of their own. Paper was expensive. It, you just, the common man did not have a Bible and he would not for many hundreds of years. But during Cromwell's time, the printing press was getting those Bibles out there. And the Puritans literally ripped those books out of their Bible, the Geneva Bible, it was called. They, um, they couldn't tear out some of them. Uh, for example, the prayer of Manasseh sits between Second Chronicles and Ezra. So when they got control of printing presses, they left all of them out. This was a decision made by people more than a century and a half after the canon of scripture had been codified in North Africa one way and in the West another way, but still people were changing the canon of scripture. We may talk sometime about the canon of scripture and today. Uh, I'll just briefly say I was asked a question years ago. I, I did a blog just answering religious questions, uh, years and years. And they, uh, they ask, will the canon of scripture ever change? Will we ever decide to drop a book? Will there be books added? And my first thought was, what a stupid question. I really did. I'm not always a nice person. I can be a jerk. And it bothered me for a few days. Just thinking about who, who would think we could change it? And then it hit me. It's actually a brilliant question. Because I think all of us adjust the canon of scripture. We have books that we consider important from God. So we'll read the Gospels. We'll read Romans. We'll read Hebrews. We'll read Genesis. We'll, but then there are other books like Zechariah, maybe. Ezra, maybe. Ezekiel, eh, Lamentations. That we never, we never really access for a common Christian. Just the average, you know, they have to choose. They have jobs. They have family. They've got to take care of their house. They've got to take care of their parents. They're probably not going to have preacher level time to work on Ezekiel. And so in effect, they've adjusted the canon of scripture. See what I mean? But this is more on an official thing. By the way, none of this is hidden in our use of the term. You can find out all of this. And there are some amazing books on the Apocrypha out there. We will take a look at the apocryphal books uh, later in this series. So let's get back to the story. The fall of the Roman government led to the rise of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, there was a power void and therefore it had to be filled. You've been told nature abhors a vacuum. Sorry, completely not true. Uh, there are vacuums all throughout, his, uh, throughout nature. But in human society, vacuums will be filled. And so once, um, in fact, we found, we found this out, haven't we? We overthrow a dictator, what happens? New improved dictators come in. Well, the Roman government fell, a Roman fallen. It was, their fall was not an event, but a many centuries long process. And so once that sweeps in, now the Roman Catholic Church uh, starts to rise. And in the East, the Orthodox Catholic Church formed around major synods and dioceses. Now, there are many differences between the two. 
and I really don't have the time to run down that rabbit trail right now. What you need to know for the study of scripture and how we got our Bibles is that in a Roman Catholic church, power is consolidated in one place. The Pope, the Cardinals, the Monsignors, those around Vatican City, that is where the power is. Now in Orthodox churches, we generally call them Eastern Orthodox churches, but they can be found around the world. They have various synods. They, they can have you know, this, they can have two or three in one nation, which is the case, for example, in Ukraine, where the Russian Orthodox Church considers Kiev kind of their Jerusalem, and therefore they gave Putin blessing and prayed for him, go take it. Whereas the Ukrainian Orthodox Church is saying, no, this is our, our, our place here. This is our diocese. So there is a religious component behind even all of that, which has been going on uh, since 2014. There, in Rome, you knew who to ask. It's the Pope, it's his people. In Constantinople, where the uh, now Istanbul, as they might be giants, have sung in a hilarious way. Um, Constantinople, you go there, but you don't get a one boss for all the church. Therefore, the way they handle scriptures varies according to which synod and diocese you're talking about. In the West, the Pope was Caesar. In the East, a lot more complicated. Now, if you go and read Catholic literature, they will tell you that it is they who preserved the scripture. And the fact that you've got a Bible at all is due to them. Well, this caused all, all my growing up howls of derision. All oh, the Catholics don't even read their Bible. What are you talking about? They don't like their Bible. We were coming from two foreign countries to scripture. So let me just summarize it briefly. To the Catholics, the Bible is the word of God, but he didn't stop talking. And he speaks through scripture, but he speaks in a living way through living people and through the tradition and the leadership of the church. That's why they can say this now, when they said this a few hundred years ago, and not have a problem. And that is, the Holy Spirit is still moving us. He is still changing us, directing us. The scriptures are valuable, but they're not a locked box in which we have to live. When the Protestants came, they wanted nothing to do with the leadership, the authority, and the tradition of Rome. So they grabbed on that um, solo scriptura, solo fide, only faith and only the Bible. Well, what happened? Well, division in the church exploded. Instead of one church like Lutheran, you all of a sudden, everybody, you know, John Calvin, John Knox, Zwingle, they, they, they all had a different view of the scripture and they all had people following them. And that's why every year we still have new denominations rising while old ones close their doors. Uh, it is amazing that the Bible, which should have united us, actually blew us to pieces when it comes to unity and many denominations. And I think that's because every person then became their own Pope and they made their own decisions. Very much like the devil promised Adam and Eve when he said, you will become like gods, knowing right from wrong. So who's right? The Catholics or the Protestants? Here's the thing.
I don't think any of us are right. That's why we need a savior. But rather than running down that trail, starting in sometime in May, I'm gonna be preaching a lot of sermons on what happened in the Garden of Eden and why we have missed the big story there. And it has a lot to do with this. So I hope that you're tuning into our YouTube channel, subscribing, uh, donating when you can, but also just learning with us as we go through this journey. The truth is that the, the Roman Catholic Church did have control over people. It had control over everything. There was no separation between church and state. In fact, that's still a really new, rare construct upon the planet. You have, you have nations such as Japan that hallow ancient religion, but do not require or think of it much, and it doesn't really impact government in any way. And you, then you have uh, Islamic countries where, very much like the Jewish people, very much like um, English people, until recent times, the monarch is the head of the church as well as the head of the state that's all wrapped together. So you would go to a Catholic church, a Roman Catholic church, and you would look to see stained glass windows. And that was the multiplex of the time. That's where you learn the stories in scripture. And the statues were there to remind you of the great heroes who went above and before you. And you would see terrible images as well. You would see babies tossed out into the darkness because they were unbaptized. And therefore they're in limbo crying for their mother all the time. And you don't want that. And you, you want to be saved. And therefore the Catholic Church was there. You had to be married there, christened there. You had, you had to give there. It, they were your pathway through this world and into the next. And it went on and on. They controlled the bedroom uh, and they controlled your access to Jesus. Very much modeled on more of an Old Testament temple model slash pagan model. Now, if you're Catholic, I'm not going after your church here. None of our faith systems survives really well when we go back and look at it. It just doesn't. A former Jesuit, uh, Peter DeRosa, wrote a book, for example, called Vicars of Christ. It's a big book. Um, it's not pleasant reading, but it's easy reading, where he discusses uh, the dark side of the papacy. And it was really dark. It was really bad. But Catholics aren't stupid. They know this. They, they, they have access to books and they read them. But their whole thing is that in the church, we expect there to be sinners. And we, you know, we, as a group, however, we are staying united. And so the Catholics, one of the other things, not only do we keep you, you know, your, control your access, things in the bedroom and marriage to uh, forgiveness of sins or the like, but also to scripture so that you don't misuse scripture. It's, it's almost like if you've been to a Catholic church, you know that when they take of the Eucharist, what some might call Lord's Supper or communion, that they elevate the host. That's the, the, the wafer that represents the bread, the, the, the body of Christ. And again, I could run down rabbit holes here, but they don't let you go grab one because it's not to be misused. Now, until very recent times, you'd have to go up and stick your tongue out and they would put it on your tongue 
because it is now the body of Christ and they don't want you to crumble it or to mess it or to drop it on a floor. That'd be an insult to Christ. So they, they're consistent and they're, we want to keep the things of God safe so that they're not misused. Well, what do we do from here? We gotta keep the Bible safe. But Catholics are changed. And I gotta say this before we close. If you don't know about the changes, you might want to go look at uh, Vatican II. Vatican II is one of the major changes. Today, if you go to the Catholic Church, you will hear far more scripture read than you will in any Protestant church I've ever attended. And I mean that. It is wonderfully shocking to those people like me who are told the Catholics didn't like the Bible to find that not only do they cherish it, but they share it publicly in reading. It's like, and I, I would, I've been told half of the service is reading scripture. I didn't do a word count, but it sure feels that way. And it's a delightful thing. And so none of us have a good record. How'd the Bible survive? How are we gonna to get to this? Well, we have to do that next week. How do we get the Bible out of the hand of a few and translate it to where the rest of us could have a go at it? Next week, God bless.